You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to episode 56 of a Life in Ruins podcast, where we investigate the careers of those living life in ruins. I'm your host, Carlton Gover, and I'm joined by my co-hosts, Connor Johnnan and David Howe. In this episode, we are chatting with Morgan Kinney, a graduate student at Adams State University, where he's pursuing a Master of Arts in Cultural Resources Management. He has worked as an archaeologist for the Bureau of Land Management and for private sector companies conducting archaeology. He also runs an Instagram page, at Archaeowolf. Morgan, it is a pleasure having you this evening. How are you doing? I am doing well. How are you guys doing? We're doing pretty good, man. Can't complain. I, uh... Couldn't really think about what kind of chair I expected to see you in, but I definitely am happy to see you were in like a pilgrim rocker. What is that? It's 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 a slider. It's one of those really fancy. It looks like a rocking chair, but it slides like a modern comfy chair or bare bare bones lazy boy is what it is. It's just got a couple of cushions on it, and then it's a wooden frame. Gotcha. Yeah, that's sick. Because like from up top, it just looks like a rocking chair, chair kind of thing. (laughs) Hey, definitely. I'm okay with that. (laughs) I'm trying to remember if you even had a cracker barrel. barrel. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, rumor has it is you're the CEO of Archaeology TikTok. I'm I'm getting told this. I don't know who came up with that. I'm usually the last to know. But uh, appara- apparently I am. That was me. That, that, that David's fault. David's fault, all of it. I guess I'll wear that hat. I, I certainly never asked for it. And I can tell you that there's others on that app, David included, who are way better than me. I'm just loud. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, yeah, when I like first started TikTok, I had no idea like how it worked or anything. So on like Instagram, you can hit hashtag archaeology and look through that. I did that on TikTok, and then you were just all over it. I was like, who's this guy? And then I saw someone tagged oh, you in like one of my posts saying we should collab. So here's that collab. <laughs> there we, there it is. Did I see that that suggestion? I can't remember. Uh, possibly. I think that's how we like got talking. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, I remember yours, uh, the, the Steel Axe episode is the first one I ever saw when that came up. Right, yeah, I remember making that. I think that was like my first thing that like did well on TikTok. Everything else was just like me doing. Yeah, we started for research of this episode. We started going through your TikTok and like the first when I started getting on it, it was mostly you yelling at people who didn't like your truck for a little bit. And I was like kind of sifting through until I got to the archaeology and then it landed on uh, a little bit. Then we landed. You're like, what's your favorite World War Two plane? And I was like, all right, this guy is going to either say the P-38, P-47, P-51. And you're like, nah. I like an old school P40N Warhawk. And I was just like, my man, like that is, <laughs> oh, whew, such a beautiful looking plane. <laughs> and under, under dessert, under, underappreciated for what it did. So yeah, huge, yeah. huge props. Now man. I've flown in a P51. I've, I've, I've flown from the back seat of a TF. Oh, uh, the two seater. Yeah. Have you? 51. Yeah. When I was, um, what was it? A junior in high school. I won an art contest and I got to spend two weeks in Oshkosh and air venture at like their, you know, high school or airplane summer camp. So it was, you know, I got to have dinner with Charles McGee and Gunther Rall and Chuck Yeager 
who are all at this big, this, this, uh, at air venture there. Cause it was aviation first was the theme of that. Yeah. We got to get flight lessons and I, I flew a, a Piper cub, a bell 210. No, not 210, a 219, the, the jet ranger. I got to get about 20 seconds of stick time in that before I said, Nope, rotary rings, are, helicopters are witchcraft. And I don't do that. <laughs> and then I got to fly. I had a choice if I could either fly in a, in a L 39, one of those Soviet jet trainers that was in the, one of the Pierce Brosnan James Bond movies or a TF 51. And everyone was like, Oh, a jet. Hell yeah. And I was like, I know what a T 50, uh, 51 is. So yeah, I'm going to pick that. And I was one of three people that got to fly in a, in a Mustang and it was great. Dude, that's nuts. What did like, did you get a chance to uh, talk with Chuck Yeager? Like the dude that broke the sound sound barrier for the first time? Uh, yeah, I, I talked with him for about 40 seconds and it was a don't meet your heroes moment. He was, he didn't want to be there. He didn't want to deal with anybody who was younger than, Oh no. Yeah. He, and there was this lady there who was easily 50 years younger than he was. And I don't know if she was the girlfriend, the wife, the publicist, whatever, but she was like, you have, you can say hello and shake his hand and then you can't talk to him anymore. It was the word. I mean, I've never been to a sci-fi convention, but it kind of had that vibe of if it's a famous person who doesn't want to be there and he's fulfilling part of the contract. (laughs) That's how I kind of get the, the vibe was, but you know, I got to, I got to meet Charles McGee, the Tuskegee airman. And I met Tex Hill as well when I was there um, at that event and they were cool. And I had read about them, you know, I was like, Oh wow. It was, it was kind of one of those, um, what's he saying? Kung Fu Panda. I've only seen a painting of that painting. Or, you know, I've, I've read about these guys when they were really young and suddenly here they are standing in front of me and they're not young anymore, but they're still just larger than life. It was pretty cool to meet them when I was there. Right. And I was just a high school kid from Montana. So I would, my mind was completely blown, right. but that was, a, that was a really cool experience. And, uh, and then of course I've never been back to Oshkosh because money. And so have you always kind of been interested in like history and, and all that stuff growing up? Oh yeah. When, when I was growing up, you know, in, Florence and Hall, Montana, you know, before the age of the internet, it was go outside or sit quietly with no cable TV and no game consoles and nothing like that and read books. So either I was outside going on wild adventures or I was reading these, these books. And if I was at my grandparents' house, all I could do was read books. I wasn't even allowed to turn on the television at my grandparents' house. And they didn't have kids books. And of course we never thought of, Oh, Hey, bring some books for the kids to read. So I ended up reading, you know, at eight, nine, 10, the, the big time life series books, like the one that starts with, you know, the, the ancient, ancient Egypt and then ancient Mesopotamia and then ancient Rome. And they're, you know, they're, they're an inch thick, right? All the information in it is, the, the most recent stuff is like 1955, you know, Howard Carter is still recent archeology span in some of these things. So it's all out of date, but that's what I had in front of me. And I read those things front to back a thousand times out of boredom. And I just, it, it never went away. You know, the fascination with world war two airplanes came from a set of four little books that were like spotter books 
from the Second World War. Here's the three-way or the four-way shadow view. Here's the specifications of what we know. And this is how you identify them if you're an anti-aircraft gunner on the coast kind of thing. My grandfather had a bunch of those, and that's what I would I I was reading and you know, started falling in love with the old airplanes. A lot of coast in Montana. Yeah, right. Yeah, a lot. There's actually more coastline or shoreline in Oklahoma than there is in around the rest of the United States. <laughs> well, I guess you grew up reading all these books, um, and I think we all kind of have a similar story to that, like, you know, reading a Time Life kind of book or an encyclopedia that kind of just like enamored us with archaeology. You know, so how'd you go from reading books to, you know, having a huge TikTok following? Because it's kind of a, you know, juxtaposition there. I, I, I have no idea. You know, when I was a kid, I always liked finding <laughs> old things and old buildings and stuff. And the first time I did remotely anything archaeological was we were living in Hall, and I think I was about 10. And I found, and now that I look back on it, I can like, I can, I look at it as an archeologist, so I can tell you exactly what the layout of the property was and, you know, what this deposit was in question and everything like that. Eroding out of this, this piece of ground between the house and the driveway was a bunch of uh, broken pieces of plate and, you know, ceramic and stuff. And it was just, you know, I didn't notice it, didn't care. There was some glass in there. And my mom was like, don't cut yourself. Well, one of the things that I, that, yeah, I was probably playing with toy trucks or something or a little backhoes and digging in the dirt. And I came across a Hummel. If you're familiar with what a Hummel is, they're, they're essentially a, like a Cracker Jack toy for grownups. Like a, a German like little trinket toy? Well, yeah, but like my the one that I found stands about, about uh, four and a half, five inches tall. And it's a brooch, but it's, it's a pewter or tin stamping of a little boy with big elf shoes on, you know, a little, little, little mischievous looking boy. And he's holding an umbrella. And my mother, I brought it to my mom. She thought it was a big, it was great and cool. And, and she ended up looking it up years and years later. And it turns out that it, it was a, it was like a Cracker Jack toy for housewives that came in a box of soap flakes in like 1925. And the house we were living in at the time was just a, just a, a double wide, pre-manufactured home, but it had been set on a lot that the original farmhouse, which had been built in like 1911, had burned down sometime in the 60s. So this was actually the trash dump out the back door of the house. And eventually, you know, we, we, that got dug up and there was more, you know, bits of can and all that historic archaeology stuff that people roll their eyes at. And the only thing that cool came out of there was that Hummel. And, you know, it was, but my mom still has it. In fact, I was going to go get it for the show. And then that just didn't happen today because I was running around trying to get a bunch of stuff done. And she lives 30 miles away. So it was like, well, another day. But I just, I mean, I got, I got more and more into wanting to be an underwater archaeologist, despite the fact I'm from Montana and can't swim. <laughs> so... <laughs> So it was like, oh, well, hey, let's uh, let's look at doing that. One of those books that my grandfather had at the house was was a National Geographic compilation of, of articles and stories from like the 20s to the early 70s or mid 60s or something like that. And in there was the Capriot ship that Jacques Cousteau found 
that was a big deal in the 50s and 60s when they excavated it. And the Titanic was in there. Oh, boy, I was just enthralled in the, with the Titanic for a while. And I wanted to be an underwater archaeologist. And then as much as everybody in our field loved Indiana Jones as a kid, I never considered Indiana Jones archaeology. I thought it was, he, you know, he's an action hero and that was about it. But you know what really got me wanting to be an archaeologist, especially growing up in a country town where if you didn't play football, there was something mentally wrong with you, was I started watching Stargate and Daniel Jackson's blowing stuff up. And I'm like, this is awesome. Nice. Oh, yeah. And that was interesting. And there seemed to be a lot more of a, well, by a lot more, I mean an iota more detail in respect to archaeology in Stargate than there was ever in Indiana Jones. So I was actually like, hey, this is interesting. This is great. And, you know, this is right before, this is, you know, the last couple of years before high school, I was reading the ancient aliens books, you know, Atlantis, the, the, the myths about all sorts of things that oh, could be true. And then I got into high school and I grew up and uh, left all of that, that ancient alien chicanery behind because it just, it, you know, you get into high school, you start critically thinking a little bit more and it just didn't add up. So, all right, cool. And then I went through high school. Right. Great. Graduated high school, went to college, and then for some reason did not know you could actually be an archaeologist. I was going to be a journalist or in, you know, when I was going to do my undergrad, I was like, I'm going to go into journalism. I'm going to be like a combat journalist or something like that. Struggled for a couple of years doing that until a friend of mine was like, you're really good at archaeology and history and stuff. Why don't you go into the anthropology program? And I'm like, what? That's real? <laughs> they kind of look at me funny and I'm like... Yeah, so I went to the, the, the social sciences building there at the University of Montana and found out that, yes, there is an anthropology program, and yes, I can grow up to be an archaeologist, and that was just the end of that conversation. I jumped in both feet, both hands, head first, everything. You know, worked through school, dealt with difficulties as I, as you know, with, with my own learning issues and everything, graduated, and then... Uh, didn't work in archaeology for the first year after graduating and then moved to Arizona and got onto my first project down there. And eventually I wound up here as the CEO of, of archaeology, which still doesn't make any money. Excellent. Excellent. Well, neither does this podcast. And so with that, we're going to go ahead and and segment one of Life in Ruins. We'll be right back with segment two of episode 56 here in a minute. Welcome back to episode 56 of a Life in Ruins podcast. We are starting segment two. We're talking here with Morgan Kinney, the CEO of Archaeology TikTok and general awesome dude. So we we ended the last segment kind of talking about yeah, we ended the last time kind of talking about like your undergrad and and what your first project. What ultimately kind of led you to want to get a graduate degree in archaeology? The simple fact that I was about 25 to 30 years too young to start in the field without a degree and get a permanent position. You know, it, it kind of came to the you have to have an MA to get a permanent position or you have to have years and years and years worth of experience, which, you know, in this day and age, you know, the, the joke is I need five years of experience before I can get experience. 
kind of thing. Right. So, you know, I, I worked with a bunch of people down in Arizona who, I mean, one of them didn't even graduate high school, but they're some of the best archaeologists I've ever met. They've also been doing this job out in the field for 35 years. So that's where they got their know-how is by going in when there wasn't really a requirement for your education or there was a minimal requirement. Do you have a pulse and can you drive a shovel? You know, 1983, that's what was a requirement to be a field archaeologist, you know, doing CRM, you know. And then after that, you know, you have to have a degree. You have to at least have a partial, you know, your degree, be working towards a degree. And then everybody I know and met down there who had a permanent position with any of these firms had an M.A., and it was like, okay, well, I eventually want to go further with it. So, yeah, so I decided to get a master's. I probably should have gone in sooner instead of having, you know, a, a three or three or four year separation between graduation and, and starting school again. But at the same time, I gained a lot of valuable experience in that time when I wasn't in school. So, but yeah, in 2015, I, I was like, well, I need to do an MA. And ironically, I, I uh, the Archaeology Podcast Network, I can't remember which podcast I was listening to, but somebody was at a conference and the Adam State program was like debuted at this conference of, hey, we're going to offer fall or fall of 2014, we're going to start offering a, an MA, online MA program through Adam State in Alamos, Colorado. And I saw that and I was like, great. I can work during the day. I can do school at night. I can work around the fact because I had a brand new baby at the time. My wife and I just got married. Actually, we got married the, the end of spring semester of, of 2015. So, you know, I have all of this life stuff. I can't go sit in a classroom for eight hours a, a day. So it was like, oh, the online program will work. Right. I mean, I'm still working on it. <laughs> so. So the Adam State program is actually is actually focused like an actual degree in cultural resources management. It's actually focused specifically like in there, at least tailored towards that. Is that? Yeah. So, and I, I don't want to badmouth the program. It's had teething troubles because I was, I was in the second semester. I started the second semester. It was even going. And in the time that I've been in the program and, and granted, I've been in the program longer than, everybody else that was in my starting class for reasons life happens they've changed faculty like three times from top to bottom mm -hmm. and the program went up and the program went down and what are we doing you know i think it might be focused towards crm a little bit more than an online masters in anthropology mm -hmm. because it's it's kind of a, a a stripped down program the the gen the the general eds requirements that you would have in getting an MA in anthropology are not there. Here's the bare minimum. This is what you're doing in the field. These are the skills you're going to need for working in the field sort of classes. And then you still have to do a thesis. And that was kind of like, yes, I'll do that. And then I'll get established in the field somewhere and then work on my PhD or another MA, which actually has more of an academic lean to it. We'll see if that happens though, because... <laughs> I don't know if I want to do any more reading right now. Yeah. 
sure. Yeah. Who, no one really wants to do that. They don't have Fair to, enough. but yeah, it's kind of nice that like there's programs out there that are more of like a, you know, practical focused program though. Cause a lot of times mm-hmm. it's all theoretical based and, you know, you just learn in class and then you get out and you're like, well, what do I do now? So yeah, it's good to have yeah. that, I think. But and and I've worked with some really nice people who you know they have all of the letters after their name, and they get out in the field and they're like, okay, what do I do? And it's like, well, here's a shuttle, here's a here's a screen, here's a trowel. This is where we're working, and they go, you know, they they look at it as you know it's not already laid out. No, we got we got to pound the stakes in the ground. We have to put the the dust netting up. You know, we actually have to do all the site prep before we even start digging. And it's it's great. You know, yeah. they they end up learning quite a lot. But it's 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 like book smart versus street smart is is an analogy I would use for it. So, but yeah, it's I think it's I think it's fun. Yeah, excellent. So, what are you um, writing your thesis on? Aviation archaeology. So I have a I have a, an admission to make. I actually last week had a complete mental break, and I may have uh, thrown my thesis away and started over. Oh no! It <laughs> happens, man. We've, we've all been we've there. All been there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I started the thesis that I stopped doing. I started in in spring of 2017. I got it all cleared with with the the professor the first professor ironically to leave the program everything was cleared with him my proposal was good and everything and then we had a family tragedy both of my wife's parents passed away that summer so i shelved everything for a year and then when i came back to it i was like okay now i have to reread everything i've already read and it just it turned into trench warfare it was not going to move anywhere and finally I sat down and I was like, okay, do I even want to continue with this topic? No. First, first answer come to my head. No. It's like, okay, cool. What's next? Well, I never took a field school officially during my undergrad because again, I couldn't afford to, but I took an, I I did an independent study. So the independent study I did was on aviation archeology span I did, did a history of it. I essentially wrote a small thesis and then I did an excavation plan for the wreck of a B-17 that is located about 60 miles from my house here. And there were a couple of loopholes. It crashed in 1979, so it technically is not historic. So I could go up there and not anger the Forest Service by measuring it and, you know, clearing some of the brushway to take pictures. You know, I, I went down in the basement and here it is sitting on a shelf and it's a it's it's 196 pages of history, methodology, and I'm like, okay, this I can turn into a thesis. I can bring it up to bring it up to snuff. And because I love old airplanes and I love crashed things, and I've actually gotten more work done in the last two weeks since I made that decision in getting it brought up to speed and going through sources again than I had gotten done on the other one easily in a year. Just hit, 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 the, hit the wall immediately with it. And it was, it's just been going great. So, but it's, it's, it's looking at uh, the, the kind of the idea that aviation is such a groundbreaking event in human history. It's modern gunpowder. It's the, animal domestication and the taming of fire on that levels of how it altered the way we interact with the planet. But the early half of it, 
which could be considered historic, which, you know, is now 1970 and back, is within that zone of if you say, hey, this site's from the 1920s, most old school archaeologists look at you and then they'll throw tomatoes at you and get you off the stage because they don't want to, you know, that's just chicanery to them. It's not old enough to be archaeology. You know, that, that joke of, you know, historic archaeology is not archaeology thing. So, but because of its significance, should that be, in respect to this, be a little bit changed? Should that be taken into account, the significance of it? Before these things go away, you know, the, the, the plane crashes that you see people going in, going under the glacier and getting, the glacier girl, the P-38, went down there, dismantled it, hauled it up. Did they do any survey on it? No. They just went and they got it. You know, the plane wrecks that are in the Phil- that are in the Philippines and Papua New Guinea, Swamp Ghost, which is the one in Hawaii, the B-17. They went in. They picked them up. They, they, they dismantled them into the big sections, picked them up with a helicopter and hauled them out of there. Air Pirates. You know, there's a book I have called Air Pirates, and it's all of that airplane recovery in, like, the 70s and 80s where it was kind of cavalier- you're, you're flying around an old Soviet helicopter that's held together with duct tape and you're stealing old warplanes from, you know, the Nguyen the, the, the government, you know. But nobody's looking at them as an archaeological site. And then the question is, is it an airplane? Is it an artifact? Or is it an archaeological site? Depends, I guess, on how many pieces it's in. But, you know, uh, you can look at it and you can see in, in aviation archaeology, at least in the second world war and back you can see survival archaeology like you would shipwreck survivors or you like the donner party survival situations because these air crew belly land out on the tundra out there and they have to survive until they're rescued there's the you know archaeology of recovery of missing service service personnel amelia Earhart. That's that's the first thing that comes up when you say aviation archaeology is Amelia Earhart. So that's what I'm I'm trying to turn it into is is does aviation archaeology, as it looks at as as it is now, have a place within what we consider modern archaeological practice, and does it fall under the protections of ARPA and stuff like that, even though it is so recent and it's you know. An F-105 crashed in Southern California. There's there's a hundred of them in museums. Do we really need to worry about that one crash site? So that's an interesting question because I was listening to NPR the other day, as a liberal does. There was a, they were talking about a B-29 that was in um, oh, B-29 in Lake Mead. It was after World War II. They were doing like some sort of scientific test. Had a bunch of equipment on board. Pilots were hot dogging. Rotor hit. They, they hit the surface of the lake. They got out, B-29 submerges. And for a long time, you had to be a proficient scuba diver to get to the bottom of it. So the Park Service was like, fine, it's okay. Mm-hmm. But as Lake Mead has been decreasing in level, it's become easier and easier yeah. for people to access. And so they're worried about that. And they got those really bad zebra mussels. So before yeah. when you could just see this beautiful B-29 at the bottom of the surface through this clear lake, now it's just covered and muscles and Mm -hmm. people are able to free dive down easily without much training. And the park service has been struggling with that because I think it is a historic site that's registered, but they're having problems trying to preserve it because of invasive species coming in and climate change. 
Yep. And then people taking stuff as souvenir hunters do. There's one on the list that I wrote down up there, uh, a B-23 dragon, of which there's like two, at uh, Loon Lake in Idaho. And it's a it's a 13-mile walk to get to it, and it's, it's on the shores of the lake there. And you can, you can put your hand through the holes in the airplane that people have cut with 22s. They've shot the crap out of it. They've scrawled their names in it. And there's a sign right there that says, this is a protected site. You know, please leave it alone. Take pictures, not stuff. And this airplane is just disappearing bit by bit. And there's nothing, there's nothing really of use to take. Like they're taking pieces of aluminum because, oh, hey, this is, this will remind me somewhere when I see it in 30 years of where I got it. All the good stuff had been salvaged by the army and during the war, you know, the, the one of the engines and all the instruments and stuff. But yeah, it's just getting taken to pieces because souvenir hunters. And it's far enough out there where rangers don't get out there every day. It's just so easy to see. They're obviously easier to find and, and mm-hmm. recognize as planes. You know, I think uh, prehistoric sites, you can yeah. get away with having some flakes on the surface and not really recognizing it. But these, I mean, they're, they're obvious what they are and you can see them on like Google Earth or anything like that. So it just becomes like, it seems like yeah. it's this resource that is kind of set up to be taken and, 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 and looted essentially. I'm looking at a picture of that B-23 Dragon at the crash site now, and it looks just like uh, a pick-through carcass at this point. Like, there's barely yeah. even a fuselage left. Yep. Yeah, there's a, there's is, a Ford so Tri-Motor at, uh, there's a Ford Tri-Motor at, at Big Prairie Airstrip in Montana, and in the mid-90s, somebody flew in to Big Prairie Airstrip in the middle of the Bob Marshall Wilderness, landed his airplane, and he cut with, with a hacksaw or, or wood saw or something, cut the Johnson Flying Service, you know, winged buffalo skull out of the side of the airplane and then took all the bell cranks for the ailerons and the rudder and everything. And he turned the bell cranks into drink stirrers and he sold them, you know, he hammered out the one end and made them into like martini spoons. And then he got in a lot of trouble because he landed an airplane in a wilderness area. Not because he just he damaged an archaeological site and looted an archaeological site. He landed a Cessna where there's a bunch of elk who are sensitive to, to hearing airplanes. And that was what he got in trouble for. And it's like, are you kidding? So, yeah. And, and I'm kind of looking at it like these, could, these are akin to shipwrecks. You know, you, you, you know, people who dive on shipwrecks, you're not allowed to take stuff from them. But people take stuff from them. So... And the sites, you know, the wrecks get, you know, degrade accordingly to time, but they also degrade because people are breaking pieces off them. And pretty soon there won't be any shipwreck to go dive on because it's just going to go away. Yeah. And on that note, um, we're going to land this plane in uh, this podcast wilderness and uh, catch you in the third segment of episode 56. Okay. Welcome back to segment three of episode 56 of a Life and Ruins podcast. We're here with Morgan Kinney, Archeo Wolf on TikTok. You know, we haven't really talked to a, a TikTok influencer yet on the show. So like, I guess what got you started? Why Archeo Wolf? And like, what do you do with it? 
being referred to as an influencer. I don't know about that, but all right. Again, more titles. <laughs> you know, I got started like every single other person in the last year. It was something to do while you're, you know, quarantined from the rest of the world. Even if we, it, we people were able to hang out and be near each other during quarantine, my work schedule had me working when all of my friends were not working. So I, I was doubly, doubly bored and doubly, you know, needing something to do. And I downloaded TikTok, I think, I think like November of 2019, because I, I was following a car builder on Instagram and they were like, look at, you know, they had TikToks so of their, their rally cross racing and stuff. And I was like, I actually want to see this. And it just became something of, uh, you know, you fall down the rabbit hole scrolling through and, and there's, there's weird dances and, you know, people doing ridiculous stuff and comedians. And it's like, oh, this is actually kind of entertaining. I've heard people refer to it as Vine. Here, I'm new to the party. What the hell is Vine other than a plant? You know, so I, I, I was, it was kind of a, the introduction was, was pretty, pretty much this is the only app of its type anyway at the time. And I just, I just kind of was like, okay, this is, this is fun. And I did, I had a couple of videos in my phone that I was like, oh, I could do something. And I never in the, in my life expected anything to come of it. You know, a couple of people followed me. Great. It got to 500 people following me. And I'm like, what's wrong with all these individuals? And then it, there, there's nearly 300,000 people following me as of today. And I, it's not even real. Like, okay, okay, sure. And then, I mean, I've got people sending me questions and asking me about merch and all this stuff. And I'm sitting there like, I don't know. This is, this is so weird to me. But it, it, it became a, a thing where I either started telling stories early on, you know, archaeology stories. Hey, I'm in the field and I found this. And when I was up at Garnet Ghost Town, which is one of the, one of the stations that I've, I've worked at as an interpretive archaeologist and park ranger through the uh, Missoula Field Office here, you know, I shared a couple stories about historic buildings and amethyst glass you know, how, how the, the clear glass turns amethyst color because of the magnesium as it degrades and just little, little educational lessons. And people really started getting into it and it started to grow slowly. And I'm like, all right, this is cool. And then somebody asked me that awful question. The one of the three terrible questions that we as archaeologists fear, the, what do you think of ancient aliens? What do you think of Oak Island? Or do you dig up dinosaurs? And I got asked an ancient aliens question. So I responded. And I was like, yeah, no. And I got the people who were like, oh, thank God someone's finally saying something. And then I got the crazies who continued to argue with me. And they call it just right. a bullheaded, that bullheaded Scottish DNA in my system. I couldn't let that go. So I started responding to those and kind of putting those things to sleep. But if you've noticed, I've kind of gone on tangents about stuff, you know, megafauna, did a little bit of megafauna stuff because there's, you know, I've come across that in field work and such, and I know a lot about it. It's one of those history things that I spend a lot of time reading about when I was younger. So, okay, I can tell a story about the, about prehistoric camels. 
you know, and then that weird story about in 1875, a hunter was fined $300, his rifle and his watch, because he shot a camel thinking it was an elk. And no one really knows why this other miner brought camels to Montana in 1875. (laughs) And it was in the newspaper. And it was a funny little story, you know. And people argued with me about the camels and they argued with me about the horses. And I've got, I've had people say, well, this is proof the Egyptians got here is because there's signs of horses in the Americas before the Spanish. I'm like, well, well they were here for like a hundred thousand years and then they died off for 10 and then they came back. Okay, there you go. That, that's how you explain horses here. Oh no. And it just got into the, the, the more views I got and the more people, I, I just kind of, I guess, fell in the hole of, okay, this is, this is inter- interesting. This is fun. No real goal on where it was going to go. And at some point I was going to get bored of it. I was going to just, it was just going to be like everything else that it's not paying me. And it's not that huge part of my life. I'll, I'll get bored of it when field work comes around or I'll get bored of it when I, I dig my bow out of storage, you know? Well, I debunked that unicorn video not even seriously in February. And that had, I had 150,000 followers, which was pretty crazy. And I was still kind of in shock. And I went from 150,000 followers to 239,000 followers in like three days because I was like, that I, I debunked that unicorn video and it was like, look, yeah, that dirt that you don't see dirt like that on an archeological site unless it's already been dug or it's fake you know, that's not how that works. And that, that bone would disintegrate if he pulled it out of the ground like that. And there, I mean, a hundred and something or 1.3 million views on that, you know, 3000 comments, half of which are extreme to the right flat earth Christians going unicorns are in the Bible. And then the other half is people arguing with them, which of course is just making it show up on more and more people's for you pages. And I just kind of got lost in this. Well, it's now become a thing. And now I have a title. I'm apparently the CEO of archeology span TikTok, and I'm, and, and nobody asked me to do that, but okay. And I, it's just, it's just snowballed into this thing where like, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that it's gotten where it is. And, and like I said at the beginning, David, I think your stuff is way better than mine. It's, it's, it's the presentation is amazing and it's far more informative and it's, you're, you're very level headed, not getting mad at people. And I'm kind of, no, I get mad, but on the inside, <laughs> on the inside. Yeah. I don't, I don't have an inside. Yeah, he shares his anger with us in the group chat. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it just became this, this thing. And where did she know it? Last September, after I kind of started getting traction, one of these outfits that produces History Channel ridiculous shows reached out and said, "We want to do an interview with you because you got a great personality, and you all, you know, we'd like to have you on a show." And of course, my first response was, "As the as the scientific correct bad guy that's going to say that, tell the treasure hunters they're wrong because that's what I am." And I'm not going to, you know, perjure myself by saying, yes, I believe in these things, which is why, David, I asked you about the, you know, your thing, because I heard your your horror story, either via the podcast or I think you might have told me on Instagram about how they made you. Yeah, I made you agree with what's his face. 
Yeah. Two days of filming and then like all they did was nod my head to like a crazy shit. So yeah, it was great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, they'll they'll find you. And it's it's been one of those, you know, unfortunately I'm a seasonal. So I'm off from November to May. And in order to go out and do field work, I have to travel. You know, the moment snow falls in Montana, you can't see anything on the ground, which is difficult to do with, with having a family. So I do the, I'm not doing anything for six months or I'm doing stuff that's not archaeology. This could actually be a thing that could supplement the income I get while I'm working. So, so yeah, um, I guess I'm going to start a merch line whenever I get around to it. And it's just, it's just going to keep on going. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing, which is now answering pseudoscience questions and shooting them down, which, you know, to go with my love of old airplanes, I'm okay with shooting stuff down the ridiculousness. Egyptians in the Grand Canyon <laughs> seem to be the big one at the moment. I woke up this morning and I got tagged 40 something times. And there's a, there's a TikTok where some kid dressed as a centurion is going about about how the Romans got to Oak Island. And people are like, please shut this down because I want to see you do it. And I'm like, okay, I, I guess, I guess that's what it is. I missed that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it just came out and I kind of wanted to make it where it's just freeze frames of, of the Roman, the Roman uh, John Cleese and what's his name from uh, a life of Brian. When they're when they're doing the the the, oh, the joke uh, about uh, biggest tickets, I know you're talking about. I don't know. Like clip art and mimic their voices, <laughs> talking about how it's a it's a crap idea and a crap theory, and it never what never happened. We'll, we'll see. I'm I'm so not good at technology. You know that's that's difficult for me. Like yeah, this the the webcam we're on right now. First thing, first webcam I've ever owned. This is the first time I have two monitors. I, all this tech stuff that people are like, oh, this is old hat to me. I'm like, I, I'm now no, no longer in first grade. <laughs> so I'm, I'm getting further up on the yeah. the technology and the presentation, which will turn into a ring light at some point. And yeah, I, I think that's your your charm, though, man. Like you got you have this like old Western aesthetic. You're a level headed dude. You're very articulate and art. I can't articulate. There we go. Yeah, David's not. <laughs> so like, I think that attracts people. And I know you got like some thirsty, like, like boomers in your comments too. I've looked at that, uh, which is my favorite part. Uh, but, um, thirsty boomers. Yeah. <laughs> What's his name? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, which, which thirsty ones? The angry thirsty ones or the, the ridiculous thirsty ones? I guess they're both. I've just seen people be like, you're so kind. Like, we love your personality, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, what? Yeah. But oh, yeah. I mean, I, I agree with them. Like, you're. Well, when I when I debunked the Gobekel Tepe one that the girl did, I got so many comments that were like, you can educate without being condescending. And I'm like, can I know? <laughs> She's getting her sources from a cult bot on Twitter. Can I be not condescending? There, there are a lot of them that pop up on my feed that I'm like, okay, I can't say anything. Do not say anything. Just take the high road. And then hers, she literally said, guys, I don't know if you saw this one, but it was like, go back to Tepe this, go back to Tepe that. Hunter gatherers built it. 
everything we know about the past is wrong. And I, I like commented and I like normally don't do this, especially if it's a female, you know, like a woman's page. Cause I don't want to like denigrate, but I was just like, you're wrong and you don't know what you're talking about. And then I got like 500 like likes and replies to that. And, uh, drove me crazy. <laughs> it seems like you have to, for some of these community, some of these groups, you really have to take that strong stance and really you just not pull any punches because that's not, they're so entrenched in this stuff that you have to really, you have to take that almost not, not like completely aggressive, but you have to be like strict about it. Otherwise it just perpetuates. Oh yeah. One of my videos got removed for quote unquote hate speech and it got reinstated because I sent TikTok a nasty message. But what it was, what it said was these theories like the, the, the Afrocentric theories saying that it's, it was the, it was, people from Africa who said, who gave inspiration to all the peoples in South America to make the Olmec heads and all their giant cities. And then the ancient Egyptians get into the Grand Canyon and all of these things that, that just, you know, are incredibly detrimental to the actual reality and the fact that there's indigenous creators and indigenous people going, we're still here and people are telling them to shut up and they're wrong. I flat out said, this is just proof that humans. Welcome to my fucking life, right? I was like, this. I, I, I said, this is just another, you know, nail in that coffin that says humans are awful to humans, and you don't have to be a certain color to be awful to somebody. And I got removed for hate speech, and I was like, no. And I, I fought it and got it back, but yeah, people oh. will report them because of I, I say an uncomfortable truth, which is humans are pretty pretty wicked to each other or you can't judge someone a hundred years ago by the standards of today yeah you know so it 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 is really ridiculous and i try to be fun i try to make it entertaining because i also know that there's a lot of people who are not familiar with what we do and the reason why ancient aliens appeals to them is not because it's ancient aliens it's because it's wrapped up in shiny paper and the presentation is good and it's it's why do rednecks like shiny things why do bass boats have a glitter finish you know it's it's what they see and it's what Jeff Foxworthy already did. That's one of his jokes. I'm not going to plagiarize from him. <laughs> oh. oh, okay. Yeah. People are getting provenience with me. It's it's provenance. You know, I'm like, okay, well, then I have to give yeah. a lesson on the definitions of words. <laughs> and, Get off your extinct Pleistocene horse. Well, provenance right. is used in museum studies. Yeah. 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 So it's like they don't know what, what – yeah. Yeah, but it's, you know, the people who are saying, oh, this is the definition of it, they're not in museum studies. They're, they're, I don't know what their career is or what their educational background is, but when you look at their page and they've got seven followers and their only video is is them playing Call of Duty, it's like, you know, you just want to kind of pat them on the head and say, here's a Snickers bar, go out and play on the jungle gym and let the adults talk. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I try not to be. I try not to be that kind of dismissive, but sometimes you just can't help it. 
you know, the angry guy who was all about his entire page was hating on archaeologists, all 27 of his videos. David, I think you saw him. Right. Big corn fed or whatever is his name. Oh, that bald guy? Well, <laughs> haircut. I don't know if that, I don't remember. Yeah, marine haircut, but it's it's you know he's he's like I know all this stuff, and he of course is I read Graham Hancock's book, so now I'm an expert. That was his entire mentality, right? And I responded along the lines of, you know, he says he's a marine. Okay, good. And just to kind of snarl at him in his own language, I I was like, I've read lots of books, including the Marine Corps Handbook. I wouldn't call myself a marine because I'm not that disrespectful to people. And oh, I got a huge amount of people who are like, "That's amazing! You're so you're so kind." And I got a bunch of Marines going like, "There's no former Marines. He was discharged dishonorably." And I'm like, "Well, I'll 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 take the Marine Corps guy, expert expertise on that, and not argue with him because I'm not a Marine." So, <laughs> but yeah, it just kind of. I recently had one dude reach out to me on. Instagram, he was like, Hey, do you know about rock art? And I was like, I don't know about much. He's like, Well, I, I have some UK rock art I'd like to share with you. He's like, Yeah, I'd love to see it. You know, like thinking like rock art, like, you know, archaeological rock art. This dude sends me pictures of pebbles in his hand that he calls art and uses the term very literally as art rocks that are artsy. They're pretty looking. And he's like, You know, they only came this way because people made them so. Like, these are clearly significant. And I was like, Sure, dude. Did not have the time to argue what rock art really was, and that it just had a handful yeah. of rocks. Yeah. No, I, I understand that. I've had people ask me to, to, to walk through and show them dig sites and stuff, and I'm like, I can't do that. Yeah. For I mean, for, for the same reasons, like when I worked in, in private sector for like Swicka and Logan Simpson and stuff, you can't take pictures where you have a landmark in the background. You can't take pictures of, of, of or post them on social media. You can, you found a cool arrowhead or you found some rock art. You can take pictures of it for you, but if you share it on social media, you're gonna get in trouble. That's kind of the same reason because some of the other people that I've called out are the metal detectorists and the people who are digging up bottles and ghost towns. And when I say, hey guys, this is unless that's private property and they have permission, you can't do that. That's bad. Oh, and they tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. And I'm like, I've only been education and work in the field for 15 years, so or more. It's obviously I don't know what I'm talking about. Yeah, <laughs> but well, clearly you do know what you're talking about, Morgan. We really appreciate you being on the show. And before we end the show today, what are a couple of sources, like you know, books, articles, or videos that you would recommend for anyone listening who's interested in archaeology? You know, JSTOR is a favorite place for me to go jstore.org and just type in what you're thinking about and see what it comes up with. Yeah. There's a bunch of it that's dry and the drier it is, I feel the better it is because at, you know, information wise, because it does away with the superfluous, you know, grab your headlines, which is what the Facebook stuff does books and stuff. Oh, what's the one that I've got over there in small things forgotten. You guys, are you guys familiar with that book? I haven't heard of that one. God, I cannot remember who wrote it. The book is, is in small things forgotten and it talks about historic archaeology and the guy who worked on the Donner party James and he Dietz. worked with my uh, undergraduate advisor, James Dietz. Yeah. Um, James Dietz books by Barry Cunliffe. If you're familiar with him, he's great because he looks at like, you know, the, the Celts and Celtic archaeology 
you know, from pre-Roman times in Europe. And, and his books are pretty, are, 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 are pretty clear that they're, they're, they're a glorified textbook. They're a fancy textbook. They're not, you know, they're, they're not a novel, something you can read on an airplane. It's a sit down and really kind of absorb the information. But yeah, any of the, any of the podcasts that, that are on the Archaeology Podcast Network, Dan Carlin's Hardcore History is great for history lessons if you're in the car That's on a good long one. drive. And, yeah. you know, and, and the thing I like about him is that he actually refers to all of his sources, which is a big thing for me. And, you know, when I'm combating some of the pseudoscience yeah. and he, he puts the sources on his website in correlation with the episode. So, you know, the, the, the 200 books he read about the Mongols and Genghis Khan, he's got on his website. So people, if they're more curious, can go back and, and check those out. I don't know if it's specific sources, but more advice of it's if it's on Facebook, take it with a grain of salt and some tequila before you put all your faith in it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so that is true. Absolutely. Well, and where can where can people find you social media wise? Well, social media wise, I'm still you know getting the hang of it. I'm on Instagram at Archeo Wolf as well as TikTok at Archeo Wolf, and then. I do have a YouTube channel, which is Whiskey with a Wolf on YouTube. And I've got one idiot, one video where I walk through Bannock Ghost Town. And I'm, I'm trying to make content for that and figure out what I'm going to do for that. But those are the three platforms that I'm on right now. And then yeah. if people are on, my tic- are on my TikTok and they go to my Beacons page, I do have a blog where mostly where I, I just gather sources to back up the big TikToks that I do, you know, about like the horse people and the, you know, the, the, sure. Oh, the Aswan egg. When I debunked that, because that one pseudoscientist account was like, this says Atlantis is here. And that was a small victory. Cause he did take his post down after I did a six part series on the Aswan egg and the provenience and finding the report from 1910 and doing all the work. So there's that, but yeah, yeah. right now it's pretty much Instagram, YouTube and TikTok. Cool. I can, I can feel your passion for archeology span and history and all this stuff. I feel like, and we always, we always ask this question to our guests. So like, would you ultimately choose to live a life in ruins if you had another opportunity to do it? Absolutely. Absolutely, one hundred percent. The only thing I might do different Excellent. is take Good. is 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 take more field schools when I when I'm doing school. You know, fair enough. Yeah. But yeah, no, this is I. It has been such a rich experience in the, all the work I've done that you know I, I often say that I've been I was born two hundred years too late because there's no adventure left <laughs> yet. Here I am working the only job with adventure in it. So I'm like, yeah, I wouldn't change. I wouldn't change it at all. It's absolutely lovely. Awesome. Excellent, man. With that, we just interviewed Morgan Kinney. You can find him on uh, Instagram, TikTok, and his own personal blog. You can find the links for that here in the episode description. And if you guys could please rate and review the podcast on iTunes and Spotify, and slide in our DMs and tell us, you know, what you think about it. That's all appreciated. And yeah, you can unfollow Carlton too, if you want. 
Our DMs, and, not Ethnosynology's DMs. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the Ruins DMs. DMs. <laughs> yeah. He um, shares them with us, but please, it's, it's, it's more fun for all of us so we can read them as a team. But yeah, Morgan, we're glad to have had you on here, and I hope to keep seeing some cool stuff, and I'm glad I got a you know TikTok archaeology friend. So Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, guys, thanks. With that, we're out. Thanks for listening to a Life in Ruins podcast. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at a Life in Ruins podcast. And you can also email us at a Life in Ruins podcast at gmail.com. And remember, make sure to bring your archaeologists in from the cold and feed them beer. So guys, what do you what do you call someone who refuses to fart in public? I don't know, Connor. <laughs> a private tutor. <laughs> all right uh we'll see you guys next time This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network, and was edited by Rachel Roden. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.